Goodies Pirate Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm Rob. I'm Richard. And I'm Mark. Welcome back, Mark. Good of you to join us again. Thanks, guys, for having me back. That's right. And you're joining us for episode 61, Punky Business, sometimes known as Punkarella or also as Rock Goodies. First broadcast on the 29th of November, 1977, once more a Tuesday, once more at 9pm. Mark, you're our guest. What did you think of Punky Business? Quite amazing. Fair enough. Richard, what about you? I enjoyed this one. It's got shades of superstar in it. You know, I think it's a more an attack on the behind the scenes of the music business than the actual artist. But no, I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I must admit I struggled with it a little bit. I think in part because I didn't get the references. We'll talk about that a bit more as we go on. But there were some very good set pieces in there and a couple of very good performances. Rob, what about you? I agree with you wholeheartedly, Dave. You're right. There are a couple of good set pieces and a couple of good performances. This time, after having not watched it for 20 odd years, I felt a little bit flat. I wasn't sort of really engaged with it, but. Um, it was okay. Mark, do you want to expand on your comment? Uh, look, I actually got more out of this this time around because I think I'm a little bit older and I understood uh, the references a lot more compared to when I watched it, when, as Rob said, like 20 or 30 years ago. I thought some great performances in there. It's a story in three parts where it just goes from the story of punk, uh, the rock follies rip off, and it goes into a bit of a Cinderella type situation and then uh, resolves at the end. I thought it was quite good. We'll expand on it as we get through the episode, I imagine. Richard? What he said. Thank you. It's probably as I've got older, and I think this is a bit of a theme with the later episodes of the goodies. For an older audience, they make a lot more sense, and that's probably because we get a lot more of the references. Mm. So we'll dive straight in, and the very first shot is a reference, which is the rock goodies done in the style of the Rock Follies logo, if you want to put it that way. Now, I'm aware of the Rock Follies, but know almost nothing about them. Who wants to take us through what they were? I remember watching that show, uh, basically... It was in the late 70s, obviously. Uh, Verity Lambert was the executive producer of that show. It was a show about the little ladies trying to hit the music industry. That's right. Uh, trying to get uh, stardom, but end up in a lot of pubs. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I remember watching it with my parents, and my mum and dad particularly enjoyed it. My dad actually went out and bought the record, which he still got. So, starred Gillian Covington, Rulinska, and as Richard and I said, the other one. <laughs> uh, uh, her name actually was Charlotte Cornwall. But yeah, again, I don't have any strong... I just remember watching that show and some of the songs, because my dad kept playing the record all the time, but the show was actually really quite big in England. It had two series, uh, Rock Follies and then Rock Follies, I think it was 77, I think it was called. Yeah, I do remember it being on here again. It would have been late 70s here in Australia. Yeah. It was done very much as a, a drama series. It, it used a lot of video effects and like fantasy sequences, as much as the goodies do when they're performing that song. So it cuts to, you know, Bill dressed as the devil and that they used to do cutaways and that sort of thing in, in a lot of the performances. So in some ways it, it's sort of a, because we're really in the era before music videos, mm. in some ways it, it sort of pre, it sort of anticipates Rhapsody. those really. It was Bohemian Rhapsody amped up, wasn't it mm. really? Because Bohemian Rhapsody, the video was like Well that was one of the before. very, yeah, it was one yeah. of the, the first real promo yeah. rock videos, I guess. Yeah. You mentioned Bill looking like the devil. I actually thought it looked like a reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> a crimson reindeer. A crimson reindeer. So looks too cuddly. Yeah, I also remember my dad having the records. I think that says something about the show. And in fact, that the goodies are referencing it also says something. Yeah. Obviously, the goodies here are the little laddies rather yeah. than the little ladies. <laughs> and they open with the shiny shoes song. 
this is another <laughs> of those examples of a song that is meant to be bad, but it's actually kind of um, engaging. It's very <laughs> catchy. <laughs> catchy. It is actually now one of the increasingly rare things that Bill's written specifically for the episodes. Yes. Mm. Now, the song specially written by Bill. Yeah, and again references TBT shoes. Mm. I do enjoy the scene very much after that where Bill's going, oh, what a buzz, whatever. They hated us. They threw fairy cakes. Yes. Is he, uh, he's using the word cock, isn't he? Yes, he is. In place Uh, of the word mate. I I don't know whether that's something, because that scene again in the dressing room, because if you notice, they've got, like, Graham's got the curly-headed wig on. Yeah. And Tim's wearing what he says is a lavatory brush. It looks like it's it's a hairstyle of Julie Puppet. Yeah, it is. They are actually dressed as the three characters from Rock Follies. Now, I don't know whether whether one of them obviously used the word cock or something that they're yeah. substituting yeah. a lot there. I'm not sure. I don't remember it that well. But yeah. but yes, he does. He does. I don't know whether it's Bill playing to, you know, his character's working class roots and that's how the working class in the late 70s referred to each other. But it's strange. And then they're also referring to themselves as T and B because one of the singers in the group was called Nancy Q. So it's probably... Another one was D, wasn't she? D as well. Yeah. So it's probably a bit of a play on that as well. And yeah, Bullcock. Or, or indeed Bill the poor man's Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made the note here that this is actually, thinking about it, a rather unusual occasion of where Bill gets to just play semi-dramatic and play it a bit of mm. length. And he's mm. really, really good in those scenes. Yeah. In fact, he's really good throughout the episode. You actually get to see some of Bill that you just don't normally get to see. Mm. We also get a little bit more language than we're used to in the goodies, like, you bitch. For yes. example, was that yes. cut out? Here? It was cut it here. Was cut here yeah, it okay. was cut here. Um, and we get slut quite a few yes. times later on. Yes. 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 Jeffrey Boycott got a mention. He did. He did. Boycott's out. Boycott's out. Yes. I think that scene when they're in the dressing room sort of sets up the narrative about the music. Bill's thing is that even though they booed them off stage, it's because they actually cared about the performance. They wanted something real, man. So. Whereas Tim just wants something that's hot or that's popular. Yes, and Graham obviously just thinks, well, no, they threw things at us because they hated us. <laughs> but, but also, and you referenced Superstar earlier, Richard, this idea that somebody publishes a list of what's cool and what's mm. not and what's out, and that that's therefore what's popular. Yes, the media are setting the trend. They decide then that they need to take the band on the road, which leads to the song On the Road. Yes, literally. On, on the, the road. road. And the Rock Follies TV show, there was a song also called On the Road, <laughs> which sounds nothing like it. <laughs> This, look, I thought it was a very funny gag initially. The, we're going on the road. Oh, look, they're playing on the road. They didn't really go anywhere after that. <laughs> well, it did not. I mean, I suppose the police turn up and they come do a bit of a dance yeah. before they arrest them. But, but they literally weren't even moving on the road because they had the back projection of the thing and then when they emerged yes. from the rear of the van, but you notice, stationary. But you notice that changes a lot during the when they're having the discussion because at the start, they're actually showing footage of what oh, appears yes. to be the back projection of the van moving. Yeah. Yeah. And then later on, they're showing clips from cartoons. Cartoons, got Churchill, Churchill was in yeah. there, you had tanks, you had World War II scenes, there's soccer matches in there as well. And it was also ladies parading scantily. I actually find this period of the goodies, in terms of their comedy, they've gone come a long way since what they were from, say, 1970, 71, where they seem to do a lot of slapstick. Mm. And now they're actually trying to you know, tell a story. Mm. It just feels a bit more mature, yeah. in a sense. And I suppose they've got, in the van, they're doing the gags. But in the background, if you're paying attention, there's visual gags that you can also enjoy. So there's two things going on there. And I suspect also having the smaller run season as they have this time means there is more time for them to throw in all of those little things. Yeah. So rather than just, well, we've got to write a script, record it, get it out, get it done. Mm. I mean, literally a couple of seasons ago when they were doing them, you know, in about 48 hours turnaround, 
now they've got time to actually go, right, what would be funny here? Or, oh, okay, well, what if the back projection had this? Yeah. What if we had this in the background? Mm. All that sort of thing. And of course, this is where they change direction. Bill decides he's going to go punk. <laughs> <laughs> because he's reading Melody Maker and Caroline Kook's column, yes. which has the wonderful line, the new wave of music is a socio-political phenomenon caused by the neo-reactionary backlash of repressed adolescent subculture. And then Graham says, I'm not sure I agree with that. <laughs> Why? Because I don't know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline Cook is a riff on Caroline Kuhn, who was an actual music journalist, and had given Bill's version, uh, the re-release of Bill's version of On Ilkley More Bartat, a rather poor review, and I, I think she was actually dating one of the Clash, but that's that reference. Ah, yes. So Bill decides that he is going to become William Snot <laughs> and form the band The Bogies. <laughs> Yes, Graham will be Vanessa Redgrave because that's suitably objectionable. Yes, and in Tim's search to find something objectionable, he has Tim not as nice as he looks <laughs> before settling on Tim Brooke Taylor, which is quite objectionable. <laughs> However, to move things forward, Bill decides that the best way is to fire both Tim and Graham. Yes, because they have the issue, well, how do they understand the youth frustration and employment? Simple, you're fired. <laughs> Goody split... Goody split. <laughs> so we now get to where they really dive into punk. Well, Tim obviously becomes the champion of upholding standards. Yes. He has his little protest about, you know, keep Britain's shoes shiny and punk is terribly uncouth. And he's reading all the newspaper articles, punk should we ignore it? Yes, where obviously they're all saying how much they can't stand punk and how terrible it is, yet they're devoting massive column inches to it, which I guess is again feeding into that idea that it's the media and the managers and the promoters really can, trying to control the trend. Or even being reactionary to the trend yes. sells papers. Yes. yes. So, of course, the country sort of is now in the grip of a punk wave. because which it was. So, of course, they are in the punk wave. So, of course, you have Michael Barrett comes back as the punk newsreader. And apparently his dialogue was actually lots of flipping and blooming. Right, <laughs> right. Underneath I was going to ask because I was looking at it and his mouth does form a suggestive F word, but it's flipping. Apparently it was just lots of flippings and bloomings and okay. so that they appropriately beeped. But, of course, the big laugh from the audience really comes when they cut to the sky at night. Yeah. <laughs> you see the, the punk up, at night. Yeah, it's a punked up Patrick Moore, yeah. who clearly is having a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, and the audience are clearly enjoying that as well. Yeah, It's sort of sad, because the newsreader really feels a bit like it should be Corbett Woodall. But Michael Barrett was really funny. And he's still alive, Michael Barrett, too. He is. Yeah. And then, of course, we have Tim says he's done his bit. And he's been on the chat show yeah. with Bill Grumpy. Bill Grumpy, <laughs> yes. Now, that was a reference that I did get. Of course, Bill Grumpy is a reference to Bill Grundy, who quite famously had the Sex Pistols on an interview on, and was it live TV? Yeah, it was live TV on the Today show, it was called. Yeah, and uh, he very unsubtly enticed and encouraged and coerced them to swear and misbehave on live television and was subsequently sacked, yes. quite famously. The clip is on YouTube, and it is... Worth checking out, partly because what he's doing is just so obvious. He's trying to get a reaction yeah. out. Yeah, he's and, goading them. Yeah. And partly because, like, today's standards, it's just so tame. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it is worth checking out the clip. But that was in 1976, so it's still fairly fresh in November 77, but it was over a year old. Yeah, and that caused a lot of controversy because, I mean, that, that Today show actually got cancelled two months after that, and, and Bill Grundy's um, career never really recovered from mm. that. Yeah, but as you said, Dave, now, these days, it's quite tame. It's really probably just another stunt. I mean, you had the thing a few months later where the Queen was on the Jubilee barge, 
and Malcolm McLaren, McLaren organises yeah. the one coming after them, screaming, God save the, the queen, queen, trailing the necessary 50 feet behind them or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, it was all shock, wasn't it, back then? All staged. Mm. Shock, no substance. We yeah. then move into what is probably my favourite sequence of the episode, and that is the restaurant scene. Yes, Tim decides the only person who can teach him about punk is Caroline Cook. Yeah, so <laughs> let's have a chat about Jane Asher, because we've had some pretty big-name guests on the Woodies before, but she would be very, very much up there, particularly for where she was at the time. Yeah. Now, we'll talk about her personal background in a moment, because there's, some, again, some interesting facts there, but she had appeared in the movie Alfie. She played Jane Seymour in the movie of King Henry VIII and his six wives. She was in... Rumpole the Bailey in a very good episode there. She's in Brideshead Revisited. Yeah, she's in a lot of very big name stuff. And is very recognisable here. I mean, she's a very good actress. Yes, mm. and she also makes cakes. She's a cake designer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Her pop culture cred is also quite significant. Yeah, in 1963, she met Paul McCartney. Rising and musician? Rising musician, apparently some small band from Liverpool. She dated him and was engaged to him until about 1968. But she's now married to Gerald Scarf, who yes. did... Well, a lot of political cartoons, a number of movies, and he's probably most famous for doing the opening closing titles to Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. Oh, and The Wall. And The Wall, that's exactly it. Yes, mm. he did too. But yeah, big name. Yeah, very big name. And very good performance here. Yes. And in the restaurant scene... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, Graham is a punk waiter. I don't know how we can describe it. He is clearly having a lot of fun doing that. Yes. The look in his eye after he's poured all the spaghetti over Tim <laughs> and he says, do you want sauce? Hold the bucket. And the look in his eye <laughs> as Tim's like, oh no. <laughs> and then he gives Caroline the little spoonful of yeah. sauce. Oh, well, in that case, and tips it all over Tim. Yeah. yeah. And Jane Asher just keeps acting. She's splattered as well. She's obviously got the back draft from it. And she, she keeps does. acting. So does Di. Yeah, she's she's really, really absolute good. professional there. <laughs> on the back wall on the restaurant, I noticed some graffiti. It said, the jam is great. Yes. And uh, Sex Pistols Rock. <laughs> uh, the jam is great, actually. Yeah. Mm. Tim is so taken by Caroline's coolness that he wants to marry her. She says, no, that's ridiculous. After she's given him her little spiel about, basically, she's just on the gravy train, the same as everybody else. That's yeah, right. that's right. She, I mean, this is where I guess they build the cat of what the episode mm. is. Yeah. Put the lampshade on, that this is just an industry that is basically making money out of telling people what the trends are mm-hmm. and as long as there are people who listen to them they'll keep making money yeah that's, that's right Malcolm yeah. McLaren it's <laughs> very cynical and very establishment really isn't it well it is but mm. I suppose that's the thing and you're right she absolutely spells it out this is just another one in a long line of trends she gets paid to write about the trends and as long as things keep happening and people don't interrupt it everybody makes a bit along the way so let's just have a quick sidebar on that when we look back at where the goodies were, particularly when they were working in their very early stuff, like the David Frost show, doing their early work with Python, etc., they were very much pushing against the establishment. They were, you know, mm. breaking taboos. They were involved in sort of that first wave of satirising politicians, which had never been done before. Now we get them satirising, essentially, the next generation of that movement. Yeah. Does this episode really show us how far the goodies have shifted in seven years? Well, it's not surprising, I suppose. I mean, they're seven years older now. And they're probably on the other side of... uh... They are. I mean, let's face it, they've been through a period where they were immensely popular. I mean, they had a record career. They were appearing on Top of the Pops and all sorts of other programs. They had books and that coming out. So, I mean, they really are... I mean, they're part of the establishment themselves now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And will, of course, all go on to get OBEs. Yes, indeed. I think the last year and, and the coming year is very much about the transition of the goodies 
from young anarchists or young comedian anarchists to the establishment. And this episode to me really just crystallised that in my mm. mind. Like Ben Elton, really, isn't it? Like Ben Elton, really, yeah. Young ones and everything like that, and then stage shows with Will Rocky, so he's become part of the establishment. Yeah, he's well. best friends with Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah. In the end, kicking against the pricks doesn't really work. You become a prick yourself. Well, you become one yourself. Yes, or Sir Billy Connolly. Yes. Yeah. But that's, that's usual. I mean, when we were younger, single, unmarried, no mm. responsibilities, no mortgages, no nothing like that, we would act in a way that we wouldn't countenance today. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe once or twice a year, but... <laughs> Okay, we'll move on then. <laughs> the scene in the restaurant ends, of course, with Caroline Cook telling Tim that no, the, the trendsetter's ball is next week, well, they'll pick what's going to be in next year. And, of course, cut to Graham just sitting there just in the background. Really? Yeah. How interesting. <laughs> and this was just after his bashing Tim over the head with a violin, maniac style. That was... Yeah, the, see, the, the thing in the restaurant, I mean, it's not really punk, is it? It's really just Graham being objectionable and crude for five minutes. Isn't that punk? But I suppose real punk, you actually had something to say. I mean, the whole ethos of punk was, you know, you're unemployed, you've got no education. No you know, future. You know, yeah, that's right, you know. That's the clash, but... So, um, let, let me ask the question then. Yes. Is this episode not so much about punk, but about what three 40-year-old white men think punk is about. Well, given it was created by three well, I, I suppose it's probably men, yes. I, I think it's more probably what three 40-year-old or nearly 40-year-old white men think probably of the industry behind punk. Because if you notice, they actually don't reference the music at all, mm. really, and that there's actually no... I mean, other than the graffiti on the wall, I don't think they even no. mention a single band or play a single note of what you would refer as to as no. So in that regard, then, are they actually being still subversive in insofar as they're attacking the establishment's response to it? I mean, we're saying that the establishment has co-opted them effectively on the way to making money. I think they're trying to have their cake and eat it a bit here. Okay. Well, I mean, I think the intention probably is, yes, to have a go at the people who just sit in the background, like the Malcolm McLarens, who really it's a doctored image. The Sex Pistols didn't really go anywhere. Punk was this you know, sort of subculture. They didn't go anywhere until he got them and dressed them the right way and made them sound the right way and positioned them the right way that they could shock the establishment. And that's mm. largely that's due to him. him. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had a band like The Clash who really came up. And then, you know, six months later, they signed with CBS and they're accused of being sellouts because they've moved away from their you know, punk ethos. Yeah. You know, the voice of youth. But they don't mention any of that really in the episode at all. Mm. No, mm. that's right. Much like Superstar was. I mean, Superstar wasn't really about having a go at the artist, really. It's about going all the crap that goes on with them, the yeah. manipulative and agents. The management. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. And I think that's really what this is. Got Graham sort of playing both sides, really. He's clearly just in it for what he can get out of it. Yeah. Mm. Bill, he's embraced punk and the, you know, the voice of youth when they go to the trendsetters' ball. The Archbishop of Canterbury is protesting about sales of his album. Like putting the ferret down his pants, wants to protest about not being allowed on top of the pops, whereas Bill comes on and he says he wants to protest about how secondary education's been shaken up, about youth unemployment, about them hunting and killing the dwarf Sumatra and Gibbon, mm. which are obviously far more noble youth causes than whinging about your album sales. Mm. Mm. So Graham's had this idea. Graham decides he can turn this to his advantage and opens a punk hospital. Department yes. of Freakology, it says over the door. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Tim goes in and he's obviously a little wary about being turned into a freak, which initially for Graham seems to be splitting his head open with a hatchet. <laughs> Lovingly holding the hatchet as well. Yes. 
<laughs> but, of course, they then find out that Bill has submitted to Dr. Graham's treatment and now has a massive safety pin <laughs> through his head. And it becomes the evil stepsister. That's right. At this point, this is really where it turns into the Cinderella parody mm. because Tim can't go to the ball because he's too pretty. Yes. <laughs> Graham becomes his fairy punk mother. Yes. Yeah. Now we cut, of course, to everyone being at the ball and Tim being left at home to do the housework. <laughs> and talking to some friends. Yes, he makes some new friends, a little mouse, and buttons the fly. <laughs> I love the bit with the mouse. Yeah. I'm the ugliest thing you've ever seen in the whole, whole of your life. Cheeky bloody mouse! So... Graham fulfills Tim's wish of giving him something freaky so he can go to the trendsetter's ball by removing his leg. That's right. And then he has to put it back on again with some dodgy clips that, dodgy will, be, clips. that will fall off by midnight. <laughs> the problem then is how does Tim get to the ball? Well, Graham says, please get me a pumpkin, or six rats. And, and a couple of lizards. And a couple of lizards. Which actually doesn't solve the transport problem because no, Tim's wearing all of them. He just wears them all. <laughs> Punkarella. Punkarella. We should mention at this point that the Master of Ceremonies at the Transcendence Ball is Frank Thornton, back yes. for his second goodies. Yes. yes. Now, he apparently, when they approached him, he thought, oh, they said it was a Toastmaster role, and he thought, oh, that's very good, you know, the red suit and whatever. <laughs> and then he turns up and he's like, I didn't realise it was Punk Toastmaster. <laughs> <laughs> now, the last time he was in, he was, I think, just starting in Are You Being Served, or even just on the cusp of. Yes. By now, Are You Being Served is probably at the height of its popularity, yeah. so... That is another very big name yeah, in he, this episode. Yeah, he's done a great job too as well. Oh, yeah, look, yeah. I mean, I, I think Frank Thornton probably is very happy to not be playing Captain Peacock for a bit and getting to just be swear crazily all over mm, the state. Exactly right. Though he does still bring that dignity Correct. to it, which yeah. marries up nicely with the sort of, you know, yeah, the swearing. Yeah. Also in the audience of that scene was Vicky Michelle from Alo Alo, apparently. Oh, really? Mm. There you go. That was one of her sort of fairly newish early, early, early roles. roles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And was it John Peel there, or just pretend John Peel? So it was, I don't. I didn't look like John Peel. Well, given he's got a blindfold, he's got a blindfold, and also massive corks in his. No, ears. I'm assuming that's meant to have a go at him. Obviously, not seeing or not listening to any of the acts, and then just making opinions about them. Yes, and there was Bob Harris as well from. Oh, the old grey whistle yeah, test. Old grey whistle test was there. Well, the old grey whistle test was a UK music show, and it was a bit different from Top of the Pops, which obviously just focused on chart stuff. They were more about the music. Yes. And the name the old grey whistle test comes when they had records on there. They used to, when, when they thought they had a hit record, they used to play it and play it and play it for the people who were like cleaning the offices and the doorman and stuff. And if they were whistling the tune by the end of the day, it had passed the whistle test. So that's how you knew you had a catchy tune on your hands. Right. Mm. And that show went for years. Mm. Bill's act at the Trendsetters Ball is to perform I'm in Love for the very first time <laughs> whilst abusing himself. <laughs> didn't land for me this one what about you guys it was amusing to watch first time round, but the second time round, from an OHSS perspective you go oh my god what's he doing because he's tweaking and yep. hitting himself on the head and Run, running stuff, into stuff running yeah. into stuff with rakes so yeah. it, it probably wasn't real Mark no it was true oh. <laughs> it was actually real no but uh, yeah it didn't land for me really no, I mean, you have the first two acts. I mean, we talked about it a few minutes ago about the Archbishop of Canterbury having had a cranial transplant for a block of wood and then the bloke putting the ferret down his pants. Was that like a reference to Sylvester McCoy? I don't know. The trick, apparently, to doing that is make sure the ferrets had something to eat before you drop it down. So all it really wants to do is curl up and go to sleep. But... Uh... Love it. <laughs> 
Was the reference to the Archbishop any particular thing that he may have said at that time? I don't know. Maybe it was just an amusing image. Yeah. The Archbishop of Canterbury wanting to come to, to something like that, perhaps. Yeah, just having no head. ACDC got a mention? Yeah, they did. Ladies, gentlemen, and the ACDCs. ACDCs. Yeah. They also make a couple other references in. There's reference to Virgin Records, who were the label who sort of regained their credibility by signing the Sex Pistols. That's right. After A&M, was it A&M threw them off? Mm. Yeah. At Time Out, NME, the Sunday Papers. Mm-hmm. All in there. Tim, as Punkarella, arrives at the Transcenders Ball. Heads turn... He gets to dance with Caroline. There's some lovely little byplay there between Graham and Bill. Oh, I suppose this is one of yours. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it ends with Graham and Bill dancing together, which is very nice. Yes, it was actually. But the clock strikes midnight. Mm. Punkarella has to go. The clips on his leg give way, and his leg is left <laughs> on the steps. And the hunt begins to find out who is the owner <laughs> of, the, of leg. the leg. They will be declared officially amazing. And as a reward, we'll get the hand of Caroline in marriage. Always look at the fine print. So we come then to the penultimate scene, which is very much the Cinderella trope. Pantomime. The pantomime, yep. Bill's calling Tim a lazy slut again and again. Yes. Which I must admit, that did make me sort of recoil a couple of times. Yeah, because abusing him, basically. Yeah. 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 And look, as per the fairy tale, the... Courtiers bring the leg around. Oh, must be, that, that does give a bit of imagery. We see all the people sawing their leg off. <laughs> 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 yes. Just throwing from the windows. Especially at this guy. They're all throwing him off the, uh, off the first floor there. But in fact, if you go back to the original version of Cinderella, mm. where they were actually you know, chopping off heels and stuff yes. to try and fit into the slipper, mm. it's not that far from source. Mm. Mm. Graham is now sort of very knowing. Bill uh, tries to fit on the leg by being a pirate. <laughs> Oh, it's not mine, but it's the parrots. Yes, it comes out as Long John Silver, yeah. basically. <laughs> but, of course, the leg fits on Tim. Tim is declared amazing and receives <laughs> the hand, the hand of, Carol. of Caroline Cook in marriage. That is an image that stayed with me very much from when I was a kid. Yes. yes. The yeah. rest of the delectable Caroline went to Graham, <laughs> except for the bit... That went to Bill. Bill. And you see Bill is running off towards... That's watching take her off, obviously, behind the bushes, clearly. (laughs) And it freeze frames as well. Yeah, it does. Which actually makes that scene even more effective. Yeah. I must admit, having had this discussion and got to the end of the episode, my opinion probably has gone up a bit. I still will say that parts of it didn't land for me as well as they would have had an unsourced material. But, But you're right. The performances in this are really good. Jane Ash is great. Frank Gordon is great. Graham doesn't get a lot to do, but what he does, he does very well. Mm. I think it's one of Bill's best performances in any episode. He's really, really good in this. And the more we've discussed, the more I realise just how much depth there actually is to the episode. So I've gone from not being as big a fan to actually yeah, being quite impressed by this one. Mm. Well, I was about to say, has your opinion changed, Rob? Well, I just think the irony of it is that for a long time, people have commented on how out of date this episode was when it originally screened, is that right? Yeah, well 76 was when the Sex Pistols released Anarchy in the UK. Mm. And God Save the Queen was in the charts number one, but mm. it was and it couldn't actually mm. it wouldn't actually say on the charts what it was. But for all that, as we've discussed, it's more a go at the establishment co-opting yes. punk and punk music for yeah. a turn of quit. For its own ends, yeah. I was and say there's no mention of the no. music in this at all. So in that regard, even though Punk is, has been dead for the last 40 years. It still rings a bell. It still chimes very well. 
Yeah, and look, I'll speak for my generation and say that it really didn't get going until Blink-182 and the garage band movement of the 90s. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Richard, you mentioned earlier one of the cuts. How many others were there in this episode? That's the only one. The bit, you bitch, is the only cut here. So Slut was fine? Yes, Slut was fine. <laughs> okay. Australian culture is strange. <laughs> Any other point? The note I had, there were a few script issues with this one when they submitted it to the BBC for approval, particularly the restaurant scene that was quite heavily toned down from what was in the original script. There were other diners basically eating the punk food and vomiting. There was more stuff around people mutilating themselves to fit the punk image. Both of those aspects were quite heavily cut down in the final script. Okay, unless there are any other points, we'll move on to our regular segments. Any goodies, firsts and tropes? Well, Tim is again the odd one out. We've mentioned a couple of times now that's increasingly becoming a thing in the later episodes. Yeah, other than that, I didn't have anything. No. No, I don't think they even make fun of any of the usual targets in this. No. Oh, oh John Peel would be the only one. Yes, John Peel. Yes, you're right, actually. What couldn't they get away with today? Let's just start with the slut references. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, probably squashing a mouse wouldn't... Uh... <laughs> oh, on, on the right show. On the as, right a, show. as a person well, who's killed a rat with a broom, I don't have a problem with it. Well, I was going to say... Not on TV, though. <laughs> considering some of the other fake animal cruelty we've seen elsewhere in the series, that's actually a bit tame, I think. And it is an incredibly fake mouse. Yes. yes. Well, yes. <laughs> okay, and our favourite gags. I'm going to kick us off and just say the look that Graham gives Tim when he offers Tim the sauce in the restaurant scene. I love the whole restaurant scene, but that few seconds where Graham just has this look of utter malevolence and evil and humour in the way only Graham Garden can do, I thought that was just hilarious. And it's, of course, followed up by the very subtly giving Caroline the spoonful of sauce. Again, he's just looking so wicked, like a naughty child, and then tipping it over Tim. I just love that bit. Richard, what about you? I had two, so I'll go with Tim and the mouse. That still makes me laugh 40 years later. Yes. Rob? Well, yes, I, I would have gone with the cheeky bloody mouse, but I think Tim referring to Bill as, uh, listen, you poor man's muppets, uh, <laughs> was quite funny and apropos of the time. Yes. Mark, what about you? What was uh, your favourite gag? Apart from the mouse, uh, the violent jukebox I thought was quite funny, where <laughs> put something on the record player, bang, 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 and uh, smashes the record apart. Buttons of fly getting wiped out by Graham. Uh, <laughs> just sort of comes in with the, with the fly smoke. Yes. And yeah, that's quite good. After Tim has done the You're My Only Friend, Graham just comes in and kills it. Yeah. Okay, well, look, that's an episode I think we've had a very good conversation with, and we've all come out the better for it. Next week, we will be talking about Royal Command. So on your way to the Royal Palladium, maybe you'll take a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. Cook says here, she says the new wave music is a socio-political phenomenon caused by the neo-reactionary backlash of a repressed adolescent subculture. Now I agree with that. Well, I don't know I agree with that. Why not? Because I don't know what it means. (laughs)